there are some really potentially overwhelming moments in life. I mean, if you think about it, you think about your own life and the course that our lives normally take. There are moments in our lives that just stand out as pinnacle moments. They are life-changing moments. They are epic moments when you think about them. Graduation from high school. Think about the time of the graduation and all that you desire to to be in all that you desire to do. That, that moment when you got your first call. How empowered you felt. You ready then to take on the world. Oh, that moment when you got engaged. And there was so much joy and, and happiness and being overwhelmed by the prospect of life together with this one that you love, or time you bought your first home, and you walked in those doors, how overwhelmed you felt with the joy and the sensation of having something such as you could call your own, the birth of that first child, and as you stood there or laid there and marveled at something so lovely God could use you to bring into this world. Or how about that moment that you realized, you really realized for the first time that you were saved. What it meant to really realize that the Lord has saved you. There are moments like that in, in all of our lives to varying degree or another. Uh, uh, brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you this morning that chapter 45 is one of those moments. That Genesis 45 is one of those moments in the life of Joseph and his brothers. It's one of those moments in life that nothing in life could prepare you for. That when it comes, it is so dramatic and so life-changing. In fact, as chapter 45 opens up in the, in the life and the story that is the life of Joseph, I want to submit to you this morning that it is perhaps one of, if not the most dramatic and anticipated moments in all of the Old Testament. Because we're so familiar with the story, I think we lose the intensity of what is happening here in chapter 45. But if you could just imagine that you were reading this account again for the very first time. Imagine that you were reading in Genesis the account of the life of Joseph for the very first time. It would be akin to Abraham as he gets up on that fateful morning, and he begins to walk up Mount Moriah. On top of which, he was going to sacrifice Isaac. And imagine you were reading that for the first time, and you were taking every step with Abraham as the intensity built. And you were wondering... Because you didn't know the end of the story. You're wondering, is he really going to sacrifice him? Imagine you don't know the story. 
you get to Genesis 45. And all that has been building up to this moment. It has been a grand drama with twists and turns and winding and emotions have been high. And now they reach this climactic moment. Or as they say in Hollywood, this grand reveal. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the episode that we've finally been waiting for. We're going to find out who shot Jr. I don't know if we understand the intensity of this because we're too familiar with it. But this is the episode that you've been waiting on. And you're going to find out who Joseph really is. After Joseph, the Bible tells us that after Joseph heard the pleas of his brothers in chapter 44, after he heard their pleas for safety, after he heard their cries for their younger brother Benjamin, after he heard them plead for the peace of their father Jacob, the Bible says that Joseph could no longer contain himself. He could no longer contain himself, and he dismissed all of his Egyptian servants that were in the room with he and his brothers. And as they dismissed themselves, and Joseph is left alone with his brothers, the Bible says that he began to weep uncontrollably. And the tears began to flow. And his knees grew weak. And his hands began to shake. And he looked at his brothers and spoke to them, beloved, some of the most profound words in all the Bible. He said, I am Joseph. Now again, there is no way for us to understand the dramatic impact of those words to understand the historical build-up to him making that pronouncement, that simple pronouncement, I am Joseph. You read in the Bible, when someone prefaces who they are, with I am. It's revelatory. Okay? This is revelation. This is life-changing, life-giving revelation. That is the nature of prefacing the person and the work with I am. Joseph looks at his brothers and he says, I am Joseph. The I am speaks not only to his name, but the I am speaks to his nature, and not only to his nature, but the I am speaks to his purpose. When God is going to reveal himself to Moses, 
and subsequently to Egypt. Moses says, in his first encounter with Jehovah, Moses says, who shall I say is sending me to Egypt? And God says, I am who I am. I am who I am. When God wants to reveal who he is in the midst of Israel, as they are in covenant relationship with him and his nature and his purpose in and amongst them, he tells them in Isaiah 51 and verse 12 that I am he who comforts you. Who is God? Who are you, Lord? And he says, I am he who comforts you. This should not be lost upon us, beloved, as we come to the New Testament and the Bible is revealing who the person and work of Jesus Christ is. And it is not just revealing to us that his name is Jesus, but it's revealing to us his nature and his person. And this is why in the Gospel of John, seven times, as Jesus is slowly and progressively revealing himself to his disciples and to the world, what does he say on seven, on seven separate occasions? He says, I am. Who are you, Lord? I am the bread of life. I am. Who are you, Lord? I am the light of the world. I am. Who are you, Lord? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Who are you, Lord? I am the door. Who are you, Lord? I am the good shepherd. Who are you, Lord? I am the resurrection. Again and again and again and again. So that when you get to Revelation and John is out on the Isle of Patmos and he gets the revelation of Christ, Christ says, John, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am he who was dead, but I am alive forevermore. I say that, beloved, because I don't want us to miss the import of when Joseph says, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. I am your brother. Because this is revelation. This is life-changing revelation. This is life-saving revelation. This is Joseph revealing himself. This is Joseph revealing the will of God for his life. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly when Joseph came to understand all that God was doing. It doesn't tell us exactly the moment when that revelation hit him. But let me suggest to you this morning that it is apparent that when he spoke those words, I am Joseph, he understood. He understood because he says, I am Joseph, I am your brother, I am he who was dead, but I am alive. I am here to save you. I 
am here to save you. Now, again, beloved, I don't know, like I said, there are those moments in life that are so epic and life-changing that they are overwhelming. And this is what you see here. This saving will of God, that this revelation that has not only come to Joseph's brothers, but first it came to Joseph. First, this revelation came to Joseph and it overwhelmed him because he began for the first time, I believe, he began for the first time to really understand the will of God here. It overwhelmed him. The saving will of God. And it overwhelmed him. He began to see the picture. He began to understand what God was doing and what it was all about. And it overwhelmed him. The Bible says he could not control himself. He couldn't control himself. He began to weep. Because for the very first time, beloved, he understood the saving purposes of God. Now you think about that. I remember. I remember that day. My wife and I, we were just married. We were living in this little one-bedroom apartment on the campus of then Atlanta Christian College. And, you know, I was reading in my Bible, and I came across Romans 9. And the Bible says that he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And he will harden whom he will harden. And so it is not of him who runneth, nor of him who wills, but it, of God, it is of God who shows mercy. And when that truth was revealed and my eyes were opened up to it, Beloved, I wept. And I called my friend and my teacher. And I said, Ezra, do you know what the Bible says in Romans chapter 9? And he laughed. Because of course he did. But when the Lord revealed his saving will to me, it overwhelmed me. That's why it overwhelms us. All this was because you are saving us, Lord. That moment when you realize God saved. It is Paul, as he is in his old age, writing to Timothy. And he says, Timothy, this is a faithful saying, and it is worthy of all our acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And I'm the biggest one. And I am unworthy, Timothy, for I was a blasphemer and an insolent person, but I received mercy. I received mercy. And he said, but not only did I receive mercy, but this is the pattern for all those who would come to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they too would receive this mercy. This is what happens, beloved. When you really come into the knowledge of the saving purposes and plan and the will of God, it overwhelms you. But not only does it overwhelm, it's it's inexplicable. It overwhelmed Joseph. It was inexplicable to his brothers. It was inexplicable. 
But when they heard Joseph speak, and beloved, I still don't think we understand the drama here. Because for the very first time, not only did he say, I am Joseph, but he spoke it in Hebrew. Now you think about that. This, they thought this was the Egyptian prince, born and bred. They had been using translators all this time. And not only did he say, I am Joseph, but he told all the Egyptians to get out. Because I'm about to speak to my brothers in a language they understand. And he said, I am Joseph. The Bible says, and they were dismayed. Now, you want to talk about an understatement. They were dismayed. Beloved, they were speechless. They had no category for this. When he says, I am Joseph, they were like, get out of here. No way. No way. Joseph is gone. Joseph is a slave. Joseph is dead. What are you talking about? Joseph is alive. The brothers were bewildered. They were shocked. They were stunned. They were terrified. They were speechless. How do you describe the indescribable? How do you explain the unexplainable? How do you explain? I was at Lazarus' funeral. I saw them wrap him up. I saw them put him in the tomb. That was three days ago. How do you explain Lazarus? Three days later, walking, talking. How do you explain sight to the blind man? John chapter 9. In fact, when he was asked to explain, he says, I don't know all there is to know about this Jesus and who he is and where he's from. But he says, but one thing I do know, that as I once was blind, but now I see. Beloved, I don't know. I don't know how you take a brown cow and you feed him green grass and he produces white milk that you churn into yellow butter, but I know I put it on my toast. <laughs> And I don't know, beloved. I don't know, I don't know why Christ would give his life for me. I don't know why he would humble himself. I don't know why he would subject himself to the sinful whims of human beings. I, I don't know why he would humiliate himself upon the cross and suffer the pains of death. I don't know why, but I'm also glad he did. I don't know why, but I'm also glad he did. The brothers were speechless. But what God was revealing, he was revealing his will to and through Joseph. He was revealing his plan. And listen, God's plan always has purpose. 
You don't always see it. But it always had purpose. Always had purpose. Been a long time. Been a long time. Joseph coming to Egypt. Been a long time. But Joseph finally came to see. And Joseph finally came to understand the plan and the purposes of God. And what is the plan and the purpose of God here? Beloved, it is so clear and it is so beautiful. It is life-changing. Joseph looks at his brothers, seeing the distress in their faces, seeing the fear in their eyes, seeing the bewilderment. And he says to them, You sold me, but God sent me. This is a man who has come to understand the purposes of God. You sold me, but God sent me. Amazingly, amazingly, Joseph says this not once, not twice. He says this three times before the brothers are allowed to say anything. Joseph tells them three times, God sent me. Verse 5, verse 7, verse 8. God sent me, God sent me, God sent me. I see the bewilderment on your face. I see the fear in your eyes. I know you sold me, but there are grander purposes at work here. God sent me. Beloved, beloved, he was pointing out to his brothers that he understood God's mission. Now I want us to just meditate upon that for a moment. Let's just chew on that. Because we can often get caught up And what men and women are doing. And we miss what God is doing. We get so preoccupied with the hands and the faces we see that it clouds the eyes of our heart from seeing the hand and face of God in it. We get so caught up in what they're reporting on the news that we forget that there is a sovereign God and we miss his moves. We get so caught up, so caught up, beloved, on what others are doing or have done to us that we miss what God is doing through us. Joseph understood his life. Now he understood his life to be mission. And beloved, so is yours. So is yours this morning. So is mine. It may not be Abby Yoder mission. <laughs> may not be going to the jungles of Peru. <laughs> but God has no less ordained your mission. And if it is ordained of God, then it is as significant to God as any other mission. Wherever you are, beloved, wherever you are this morning, I want you to consider that God put you there. Now you think about that. Wherever you are, wherever you are this morning, wherever you will be on Monday morning, consider the fact that God sent you God put you there. 
No matter the machinations of men, no matter what women have done, look in the mirror, sit down at your desk, and say, God, you sent me here. This is my mission. Let me look and discover your purpose. Don't let me get caught up in what others are saying and what others are doing. I want to know what you're doing to me and through me. Joseph, beloved, was a godsend. Did you get that? And he understood that. God sent him. That's what God intends for all of us to be today. Wherever we are. Somebody asks you, what you doing here? You can say, the Lord sent me. And I'm seeking to discover his purposes. The Lord sent me. It's what he does, beloved. Joseph isn't the only godsend. This is what Jesus was. He was a godsend. God sent him. And no one knew that any better than he did. This is why he says in John chapter 4 and verse 34, where he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. To do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He knew this from a very early age, didn't he? As a little boy, he gets, uh, he gets confused, or not confused, he gets displaced from his parents. In the grand city of Jerusalem. And his parents go searching for him. When they find him, where is he? He's in the temple as a young boy of 12 years old. And they say, what are you doing here? Your parents have been looking for you for days. And Jesus says, I must be about my father's business. Because I know I got a purpose for being here. He sent What is the father's business? Well, we know what the father's business is. The father sent the son to do what? To save. To save. That's the father's business. The father sent the son to save. The father sent the son to preserve. To preserve his own. For God sending purposes in the life of Joseph was preservation. That's why he sent him. And Joseph knows that now. He sent him to preserve. God preserves his people even until his will is revealed. Notice what he says in verse 5. God sent me before you to preserve life. He sent me to save. Says it again, doesn't he, in verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive. The Lord sent me here to save. To keep alive for you many survivors. This is important to know. That Joseph gets to this point and he realized that God sent him to preserve life. And now Joseph could look back and see that he persevered. He persevered through the hills and the valleys. He persevered through the ups and the downs. He persevered because God was preserving him so that he would preserve others. God was preserving him so that he would preserve others. God sent Joseph to save, to keep 
and to preserve this remnant. And beloved, through the whole process of the ups and downs, Joseph kept God because God was keeping Joseph keeping God. You understand that? Joseph kept God because God was keeping Joseph keeping God. And this is the purpose and the plan of God because, beloved, our God is a keeper. That's what the Bible says. In Psalm 121 and verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. He's a keeper. He's a keeper. That's what my wife said when she took me home to her mom and dad. <laughs> said, Mom, I think he's a keeper. <laughs> oh, beloved, the Lord is a much better keeper than that one. The Lord is a keeper. He's a preserver. He's a keeper because he keeps his covenant promises. He promised Joseph long ago that Joseph would be a ruler. That his brothers would come and bow down before him. Our God is a keeper. But not only did he promise Joseph that he would be a ruler long before Joseph was ever in the picture, God promised Abraham. He promised Abraham that he would have a seed and that he would have a remnant upon the face of this earth, that he would have a great prosperity. And God sent Joseph to preserve Israel because God is going to keep his promise to Abraham. He says, the Lord sent me to keep a prosperity in Israel because he's a covenant-keeping God. Beloved, he's a keeper. And one of the things that the Lord has promised, the Lord has promised to keep you safe. Okay? Now, I want you to understand that. The Lord has promised to keep you saved. He has promised to save you. But his promise to save you is not just in this life. The promise to save you, more importantly, is salvation in the next. Not just save you to the grave, but to save you unto eternal life. That's his promise. And he is keeping you, keeping him. Because he promised. And he keeps his promises. Mahalia Jackson used to sing the song. How I got over. You like that, didn't you, Steve? How I got over. My soul looks back in wonder. How I got over. Beloved, I love Mahalia Jackson. But I am confident that my soul will not look back in wonder. How I got over. My soul will look back and see that I was keeping God because God was keeping me, keeping God. And every step of the way as I climbed the hills and I went down in the valleys, his hand was upon me. And every step I took, I took in him. And every time that I fell, his hand kept me from falling finally. My soul won't look back and wonder. I will know how I got over. That's what Joseph is saying. Beloved. He's looking back and he knows God sent me to save. This, beloved, is the revelation of God in the life of Joseph. You know what happens when you get the revelation of the purposes and the preserving plan of God. Things become clear 
And that's when reconciliation takes place. You ever do math problems and you're trying to figure it out? And then you get to that one point when all of a sudden you can reconcile the issue. You can reconcile the issue. Because you got to that one moment of mathematic clarity. And it says, ah, that's the problem. And here's the answer. That's the revelation of God. You get that revelatory clarity. And now all things get reconciled. I understand. I understand. You know what the revelation of Joseph was? The revelation of Joseph to his brothers was a reminder of their sin. It was a reminder of their guilt. It was a reminder of the shame of their actions. It was a reminder of the alienation that they had caused between them and their brother Joseph. When he says, I am Joseph, and they understood who he was, they didn't have nothing to say. What could they say? What could they say? The Bible says that they were dismayed, that they were terrified, that they were undone. And it was due in large part because of their guilt. And what does Joseph do? Because he has this revelatory clarity of all that God is and is doing, he looks at his brothers and he reassures them. He doesn't, beloved, want them to wallow in their guilt. But he wants them to be washed in God's grace. So he tells them, don't say nothing. Don't say anything. You will flourish. You will flourish because of what God has done. You will flourish. Your families will flourish. And we will be reconciled to one another. What sin has torn apart, grace and mercy will bring back together. Sin had fractured their lives. But by faith and forgiveness, they would find healing. And there would be forged for their families a whole new future. You know, beloved, that the only thing, the only thing separating any of us from God is our sin. That's the only thing. That's the only thing. And you know what? Just like Joseph, God sent Jesus into the world to deal with that. And if that's the case, if the only thing that separates you and I from God is our sin, and God has sent his son into the world to deal with that, there is nothing that separates us from God. And therefore, Joseph says, you come. 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 You can imagine the hesitancy on their part. You can imagine the trepidation in their heart. God, Joseph assures them, God has dealt with all this. There is nothing that separates you and me, Judah. There is nothing that separates you and me, Reuben. There is nothing that separates us now. You come. Come. Come, come. And he says, come near to me. Come near to me. Notice, beloved, how many times he says that. Notice how many times he says that. Verse 4. Come near to me. 
In verse 9, come down to me. In verse 10, you shall be near me. In verse 11, I will provide for you. Why? Because, beloved, nothing separates us now from God except our coming. You come. Nothing. Nothing. This is why Jesus could say, beloved, come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. This is the great invitation of salvation. This is the hope. This is life. Come. Come. And when you come, what do you find? A vengeful God? An angry God? No, Joseph wasn't vengeful. Joseph wasn't angry. What do you find when you come? You find a loving Savior full of grace. You find a welcoming Father full of mercy. You find a loving brother with arms wide open, ready and willing to lay kisses upon your neck. Kisses of mercy and love and kindness. Beloved, I... I really, I really, well, I, that's not I think, I know, I know. I know this morning that we don't know just how amazing the love of Christ is. We really don't grasp how radical is his mercy. I know it. I know we don't grasp it because of the way we treat one another. I know we don't grasp it. I know we won't grasp it because of the way we hold grudges. The way we don't let people experience his grace. The way that we don't forgive. I know we don't understand the radical nature, nature of this beloved. Love is far more radical than you and I could ever believe. The Bible says that God did not spare his own son, but freely gave himself up for us all. And then he says, if he is willing to do that, how will he not with him freely, graciously give you all things? This is the love of God, the Bible tells us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Beloved, if you knew, if you really knew the nature of your pastor, you would not want him to be your pastor. If you genuinely knew my heart and my thoughts, you would flee from me. If you, if I knew, genuinely knew the thoughts and the intentions of your hearts this morning, I would flee from here. <laughs> Beloved, get this. God already knew the worst about you when he saved you. 
And there's nobody going to come along all of a sudden and give him some information. Not like we do. Pastor, I just want to let you know, did you know that so-and-so was over here living like this? You're not telling on anybody with God. And so I would suggest to you, don't even bother telling on them to me. Get to understand the radical nature of God's love for you. All he says to you is come. You come. But we're not come. But I'm not ready. You come. But I don't have come. You just come. Because I have it He knows. He knows that you dismissed his rule. He knows that you trampled underfoot his grace. And yet he still says, come home. Come home. You who are weary, you, you just come home. Come home. And I'm reminded, what would his brothers say in light of all that Joseph has said? I don't know. I imagine the words of Charles Wesley. And they say, no condemnation now I dread. Jesus, all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head. And clothed in righteousness divine. Did you say, come, Joseph? Yeah, I said, come. Did you say, come, Jesus? Yes, I said, come. And bold, I approach the throne, his eternal throne, and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love. How can it be? That you, our brother Joseph, had been sent to save me. Amazing love. How can it be that Christ, our Lord, had died for me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father,